Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Roth is a talented musician, producer, and songwriter who plays a primary role in the Dap Kings, one of the baddest bands of all time. Also known as Bosco Man, Roth spent almost 20 years playing with the late, great Sharon Jones, who sadly succumbed to pancreatic cancer on November 16th, 2016. Her final sessions with the Dap Kings have been captured on a gorgeous new album called Soul of a Woman, which is out via Roth's Daptone Records label. And he and I spent some time remembering Sharon by discussing each of these new songs. Sponsored by Fresh Books, Hello Fresh Canada, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts, this is Gabriel Roth of Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings on the 366th episode of Creative Control with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Gabe. How's it going? Great, Vish. How are you doing? I'm very well. It's nice to talk to you. It's very nice to talk to you. The last time I saw you, I believe, on stage with Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings was in uh, Alora, Ontario in Canada. Do you remember playing a, a festival in Alora, Ontario? Oh, yeah. I think I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a few years back. It was. It was a few years back, and I had the—I believe, if I, unless I was sidelined, because sometimes that would happen, I believe I emceed that show. I introduced the Dap Kings. It was a great pleasure for me. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. All right, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan. I got to see the Dap Kings a lot in the early days. You would play in Waterloo, Ontario, and Toronto at the Horseshoe, like smaller clubs. And oh, yeah. I remember the Horseshoe well. Yeah. Just overwhelming. Yeah. I just—I'd never seen anything like it, so it's— uh, Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I uh, this is a this is a bit difficult for me because I I have a fondness for Sharon. I got to talk to her a few times, and um, I'm I guess right away. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, actually, I mean, this is uh, the Soul of a Woman record is coming out, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I imagine it's uh, 
it must be difficult for you. How are you doing with this? I'm I'm doing well. I mean, you know, it comes it comes in waves. Sometimes it, I get I get very sad and and miss Sharon a lot. But uh, you know, for the most part, I try to really stay focused on uh, how fortunate I was to be able to play with her for so long. You know, I mean, I was making music with her for almost 20 years, and um, and it was the ride of my life. You know, and yeah. it was pretty incredible. Very few people, you know, were as lucky as I was to be able to stand behind her on stage. You know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, have that perspective on on uh, what you could do. So, uh, you know, I, I, I try to I try to keep a good perspective on it and a, and a good outlook. I mean, yeah, I miss her a lot. Yeah, I miss her a lot. And, uh, you know, it's always funny little things that make you miss her. You know, mm-hmm. I'll walk by and see my my closet full of suits and wonder, you know, man, why do I have all these suits? And, you know, they, I used to g- grab them every weekend, you know, reach in there and pick out a suit and jump on the road every weekend you know i know it goes i was gonna go see her and and uh do shows and stuff and so it's yeah it's sad i miss her yeah well, but, we, well uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there and i I'm, i appreciate uh your your candor there because I, I know this must be difficult oh. i i i want to go i want to reflect on a couple of things that I, I remember sharon saying to me over the over the years one of them and, I, and she mentioned you specifically was that in making this music with the Dap Kings, there used there was a point where you, I believe she said you decided not to put dates on the records so that no one could figure out when they actually were recorded, when they came out. Is that right? I think some of them have dates, but yeah, you know, I I think the thing for me was when you have to understand my perspective. When I started making records um, in the '90s, you know, I wanted to make these soul records, these funk records, and the records that I wanted them to stand up to were the records that I loved, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to compete with the brand new heavies. I was trying to, trying to be right up there with, you know, my aspirations were to be making records that were as good as, as, you know, Stax and Sam Cooke and stuff. And I'm, I'm not saying I ever got close to that, but, you know, I, I, I think for myself going into a record store, if I saw some new record, my assumption was already that it was terrible, you know? Right. And this is the 90s. This is the 90s. You know, I was buying... So the only records I was really buying were old records or reissues or compilations and stuff. Um, and, you know, and people might see that as some kind of closed-minded, you know, fetishist thing, but it really isn't, man. I mean, you listen to... I would listen to lots of new music. I just didn't like it, you know? And it's mm-hmm. not that different these days, you know? Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, just as far as... as, as um, being influenced by the stuff you love, you know, I was trying to make a record like the ones that I love, you know. Yeah, and and, and um, the Sharons share that perspective of trying to make something. I mean, I think any artist would like know, to make something timeless, but there's a certain aesthetic with the Dap Kings that I don't think uh, anyone else really put forth. Yeah, the thing with I think Sharon never really had an agenda or anything like that. I mean, not that I really had an agenda either, but you know, at the end of it, I think the thing that really worked with the Death Kings was everybody was just making music from their hearts, you know, making music that, that felt good to them and felt natural to them and felt like what they wanted to do. Mm. Nobody was really trying to, um, evoke something or refer to something from the past, you know? And obviously we always, you know, mostly, mostly in, in, uh, interviews of course, but you know, we always dealt with questions of, retro stuff and throwback stuff and yeah you know what's relevant what's not relevant but you know to us we were making you know we're always making original music you know writing songs that nobody had ever written before we weren't reaching for these kind of cliches lyrically or musically you know it wasn't like we were trying to do a bunch of you know girl group stuff or wah-wah pedals or or um you know ripping off lyrics or ripping off you know lines it was you know very completely original music and very much sincere music from the heart you know mm-hmm. um 
and I think for Sharon, it was, you know, she was never trying to sound like anything, you know, she was singing from her heart and we were, you know, I think that's why we got along so well is that musically, um, you know, it was a group of people that really spoke the same language and got excited about the same things and the same thing felt good to them. You know, we had a certain sound that felt really good to us. And, and, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's a strange thing too, because I think, you know, rhythm and blues or soul music or whatever you want to call it, you know, it had a strange evolution, you know, it's very different from, for example, the evolution of rock, you know, because you get bands all the time. Now, if you look at rock bands, um, you know, you get bands playing the same three chords that the kinks or anybody else did and screaming about the same stuff and using the same, actually they're all using old amplifiers and old guitars and, you know, it's exactly the same sound. You look at, look at punk rock, you know, yep. you look at a lot of those, those genres and nobody looks at those as, as throwback groups, you know, yeah. that just seems to be a vocabulary that's been established, right. you know, but R and B music transitioned very differently. It got very, it got more and more produced and got more and more about, you know, computers and samples and, and people and, you know, producers and engineers layering vocals and tuning things. And I mean, it got to the point where it, it's so far removed from what me, for me was really beautiful about my favorite music, which is just the, the rawness of it and the sincerity of it and the soulfulness of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and even the rhythm of it, you know, really kind of got dissipated. So, um, you know, I, I, I think for us, we were just trying to do what was natural hmm. to us, you know? Yeah. And, uh, we, we, we're never reaching too far for anything. Yeah, no, that came across. It felt it felt natural. It felt like a genuine expression, and it never yeah. seemed retro to me. It just felt, yeah. like I say, timeless is, I think, the best word for it. Um, I, you mentioned that you worked with Sharon for, for 20 years, and I'm sure you've talked about this many times over the years, but can you maybe briefly just talk about how you two connected, how she connected with the Dap Kings, and, and how your collaboration uh, together began? Yeah. Well, it probably wasn't 20 years. I think it was 19 years to be, you know, to be full disclosure. I think, cause I think it was 97 mm-hmm. that I started working with Sharon. It might have been 96. I'm not sure. Really? It might have huh. been 96, actually. Huh. But I, I can't remember what year it was. But we were we were recording a um, – I used to have a record label called Desco, my first record label. And we were recording a, a record with, with the great Lee Fields. And uh, we needed a back um, – we needed three background singers. And the saxophone player at the time was a guy named Joe Urbeck who um, we played with for many years, great saxophone players, still around. Yeah. And um, he said, oh, my girlfriend can come in and bring a couple friends. We said, great. So the next day we go into the studio, and he shows up with Sharon. And I say, hey, nice to meet you. Where are your friends? And she said, why pay three when you can pay me? <laughs> and, and proceeded to lay down all three vocal, you know, background parts on all these tunes, you know, for, for Lee Fields. And there was one tune in particular called Switchblade. And... Um, it was just kind of like this weird, we kind of had this kind of funk track and it was, and the idea was a, a friend of my partner, Phillips had this comedy, he's like a comedian dude and he had this comedy routine that he, he had this whole rap about how I just got out of jail and I got a switchblade and stuff, but it was pretty funny. It was strange. But, um, anyway, uh, we had Sharon and we hadn't recorded that part yet, but we wanted to record the background. So we had Sharon come in and do switchblade, you know, do the harmonies, yeah. the backgrounds. And, um, she said, what is this, you know, what's this song about? And we told her. And she started laughing, and then she started breaking into this. She started, you know, rapping about, you know, breaking out of jail and having a switchblade. And she was so funny, we just hit record, and we rolled the tape. So really the first thing that I recorded her doing lead on 
she wasn't even singing. She was just, <laughs> she was just like um, making stuff up, man. It was hilarious, man. It was hilarious. And I think we kind of had the tape machine sped up, so when we played it back at regular speed, she sounded a little lower. Hmm. And um, it was it was a strange track. And then after that, we did the landlord and um, uh, a few other ones we did. And then we then we came back and did damn it's hot. And you know we started doing a bunch of these little forty fives and stuff together. And and start doing shows, you know, that was with the soul providers. That was yeah. the original band was the soul provider. So yeah. yeah, that was, that was in the nineties and we started doing shows. And I think by 99, we'd gone to, uh, uh, England for the first time, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a long time ago. Yeah. She's a, a multi, she was a multifaceted person. She was very funny, I think. And, uh, yeah, very, uh, very quick, very quick. Yeah. I came across yeah. in the performances for sure. If you went to see the band live you would be overwhelmed as a music fan but you would also be highly entertained by yeah just her her banter and her interaction with the crowd i, I always remember remember her bringing people on stage and it was ridiculous <laughs> yeah. you know from the audience yeah, yeah. you know dancing with people anyway wonderful yeah uh, i yeah. want to get into I'm, there's lots of memories to cover i'm sure but i want to get into this record and maybe maybe as we go speaking of remembering things maybe things will come up so if it's okay with you, I'd like to get into Soul of a Woman sure. and, and talk about every, all the songs and maybe your memories of the background and, and Sharon's role uh, in each song. And it seems fitting now to begin with the first song, Matter of Time. Matter of Time was written mostly by Binky. Binky wrote most of Matter of Time, mm -hmm. and I think you know I think we we worked out we probably worked out some of the the fine points, the arrangement and stuff as a band in the studio. And I think that um you know Sharon and and the band worked together I think to get some of the final verses and stuff together. But it's something I think he'd workshop with a couple of guys at a um, a writing session or something, and then brought into the studio. Mm -hmm. And um you know it was. It was actually of, of everything on the record. I think that was the one that felt the most live to us, at least at the time. Um, we we kind of we kind of worked it out, hadn't worked on it too hard, and then we rolled tape and just dug into it. And the horn, I think everybody was live. The horns were in the room with us, and I think Sharon's vocal take, the one that's on the record, I think is what she was singing live too. And uh, we did a take of it, and every, the energy was just good. Everybody was just kind of on fire. It was a real live. You know, we'd come off the road. You know, and yeah, it was always a you know, a, you know, a band that was hottest that way. So it was, it really felt like a, you know, felt like a real live performance. It was a first and, take, uh, right? I, I understand it was a first take. I think take. so. Yeah. yeah. And we kind of tore it out and then we went back and listened to it and said, man, this thing is burning. 
but wait a second, I kind of flubbed this change and you kind of did that and the end shouldn't do this, the end should do the other thing and we should go down. And, and we did what we usually do, which is really polish up the arrangements. You know, we really kind of get back in there and fix everything. Yeah. And we fixed everything and hooked everything up and went back and did some more takes, but none of them seemed to, when we went back later and listened, none of them seemed to have the fire of that first one. Right. So we just said, oh man, whatever, who cares about the mistakes and stuff in there? And we just rolled with the first, first one. So it is, it is a first take and it's, it's live. It has energy. I mean, it has kind of this sloppiness to it. That's like, we're barely hanging on to, you know, like a, a train going around a, a, you know, a corner too fast and just barely hanging onto the rails, you know? Yeah. And, um, has a good, has a really good energy to it. So I think I ended up splicing a different ending onto it. There's a real bad splice at the end, which we were kind of giggling about. I think I just, <laughs> because I think that take actually the original first take, I don't think we even hit the ending. I think we just kind of fell apart or something. So I just spliced a drum fill in from one take and then a weird fade out from a different take and, and, uh, you know, faded it on out, you know, but, um, yeah, it was, it's a great tune. Yeah. And, um, it, it you know, it, it's really disappointing with stuff like that because I think there are tunes like that on the record that when we record something like that, I mean, the recording is, is, is fun and it's rewarding and it's something we're proud of, but, but really, you know, those things are really just setting us up to go play them live, you know, and we didn't really have a chance to, to do the, you know, to yeah. do that song live with Sharon, you know, and I think she would have killed it, man, yeah. you know, yeah, I really, you know, that would have been, that would have been her meat and potatoes on the road. It's, there's songs like that, you know, every couple of records that would just have a certain energy to them and she would tear them up. So. Yeah, no, it, it is a, it's a wonderful song. It's a great opener and uh, I appreciate your insight there. Let's move on to, to Sail On. Well, look who's here. Want to come on in? It's been a long, long time. How you been? Oh no! Tell me it ain't so. So they threw you out. Now you don't know where to go. Wait a minute. I don't suppose. Yeah, well, Sail On, again, is, is, is kind of a real, you know, a real show band live kind of one. I mean, the way that we sequenced the record and what we were kind of going for was to kind of, you know, show these two sides of Sharon and the band, which is to try to, um, you know, we really wanted to do these, these kind of songs like Sail On and Matter of Time because they, um, they really reflected kind of how Sharon was live and how we wanted to remember her, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you see as we go deeper into the record, it kind of gets a little bit more. Uh, sophisticated and orchestral, um, but a little bit less feeling like a live show. So Sail On was a, another one that was that was kind of a real live kind of track. And I think um, it was written by Kocheme Gastelum, our, our baritone player. Oh, okay. And um, Cheme. And um, he wrote it and I, he had, he kind of had parts of it. And then I think Wayne and Wayne and I helped him finish it. Wayne Gordon, our, our, uh, engineer over there and our, uh and he he helped uh we, we helped him kind of finish up the lyrics and the concept and move it around a bit and stuff yeah um, when you when you say certain band members were writing the songs i, I did want to clarify that lyrically as well i i, I guess I, in my head i'm like oh they must have come come up with this uh the hook or the riff or the arrangement but you're saying that when a, a band member came forward with a song it was 
lyrically intact as well for the most part? Well, I'm not saying it's intact, but yeah, lyrically as well. When I talk about writing a song, I'm talking about the lyrics and the music, yeah. the whole thing. Okay, okay, yeah. 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 And 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 so I you know, it's Sharon once told me uh, the last time I had a formal interview with her it was uh, around the time that uh, give the people what they want was coming out and mm-hmm. she mentioned to me that she was addressing her pancreatic cancer in songs like retreat like basically she was addressing what was going on in her body um in some of the songs well she well when she was live when she was singing live she was not in the studio she wasn't right right exactly retreat but, retreat i mean i wrote retreat about sharon acted crazy because <laughs> sharon was a handful you know i mean yeah. as wonderful she was and stuff but she was a handful and she would put you know all of you know her managers and her road managers all the all the people who had to handle her you know she would um she sometimes put them through hell because she would just act sometimes she would just be crazy and um i wrote that song as 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 something kind of cathartic for them i actually wrote it for for some of the other people you know so that she you know because i think and and they took a satisfaction and we got to you know we started performing that song live and to for them to see sharon take the stage and start singing um you know don't don't try to stop me because you can't fix crazy and uh (laughs) Retreat, you know, there's no you know, all this stuff about a woman scorn, all this stuff, you know. They they took they took some comfort in that and like having you know, having that having that message and that side of Sharon just kinda out there. I mean that's what that song was about. I mean that's a side note, but but um No, 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 that's an important then, side note because I, I, I think delving into her personality a little bit here uh is is insightful and I, I don't wanna pry too much, but that craziness you're referring to what kinds of ways would that manifest itself? I can understand her personality was strong and bold and all those things, but are there are there examples of what you were thinking of that made well, it into the song? Yeah. Oh, into the into that song? Yeah. I don't want to, I, you know, I don't want to get into into specifics out of out of respect for, sure, you know, sure. someone who, who can no longer defend herself, you know, but uh <laughs> yeah, man, she just act crazy. You know, I mean, she would uh <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, she was always, you know, on some level, she was always a humble person. She was always somebody that that really was really connected to her fans and her people, and never took to the stage like she was better than anybody. Yeah. But uh, you know, sometimes you get on the road and she would get pissed off about something and, and flip out. I mean, she was, you know, she obviously had a lot of fire in her, and you know, on on the road for that many years, the band and the people around her sometimes sometimes saw her her at her at her at her uh, most volatile, you know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. she could be, she could be, she could be intense, you know? Right. But, um, I mean, the thing is with all the songs, any song you write, I mean, this is my experience from doing this with her for a long time. I mean, the songwriting process is, is different each time. Like I tend to write a lot more songs that are just kind of finished. Um, I just kind of work on them until I'm done and then I bring them to the band, but some, and some guys from the band do that, but other guys, you know, like Binky sometimes writes songs like passing by or something. He had that totally composed. But there's other songs like I'm talking about, like Sail On or something. Somebody like Chemi had this concept of kind of sail on. And um, I think he mostly just had the hook sail on. You know, he just kind of had the idea of this hook and had had certain parts of the music and stuff. And we sat down and really talked about what it could be about and stuff. And we came up with this idea about, um, you know, somebody coming to knock on her door and kind of keeping it present tense. And this idea of somebody coming and, and, and looking for help and her saying, hey, remember when when you were, when I was in need and I went knocking on your door and you told me to sail on, Yeah, you know? Right. Um, but then the second verse kind of says, well, if I, if I did to you what you did to me, where would we be? You know? Yeah. And it's kind of about, about being, you know, about not, not taking an eye for an eye and kind of being better than, 
you know, doing what you can to help somebody, even if they wouldn't help you, you know, and yeah. I think that's, you know, that's really what the story is about. And so, so we try to find, you know, we try to find something for a song to be about, you know, but the sad thing is almost every song I've ever written, man, or anybody in the band's ever written, people listen to it and they always assume it's about a lover. doesn't matter what you write. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like they'll say, Oh, sail on. That's about, um, you know, Sharon's telling her wrongful lover to, you know, to take a walk, you know, right. retreat. Retreat's telling some guy to take off, you know. It's like there's not there's not a word in there about a lover. There's nothing in there about a boyfriend or a kiss or a, any. You know, there's nothing in there. Hmm. But people just assume that's what songs are about. And then there's other levels too, because like you said, when Sharon starts doing these songs live, um, she puts different meanings into them again. You know, like she put um. Uh, retreat, like you said, she started singing that she was singing about cancer when she, yeah. when we got on stage, you know, right, right. and sail on till we'd start doing sail on. She it was the same thing. You know, she's singing about, she was real into the message of the song and about the idea of, of helping people out and, and what the song was really about. But on some level, you know, she got up there and she was singing for her life. Yeah. And when she sang sail on, she's telling cancer to sail on, you know? So yeah. I, I think there's, there's kind of truth to all of it as much as that may seem like a cop out answer, but I think all those you know, sometimes songs about a lot of things. You know. Yeah. No. 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 I, I I didn't think it was a cop out, and I think we'll we'll uh, touch upon some of the, the 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 ideas and notions you just brought up as we go here a, a little bit. Um, um, and I, I think we should we should move on to just give me your time. I don't need your promises. I don't need your lies. I don't need your tears. Just call me a baby and I'll love you over again Just give me your time Yeah, just give me your time. Is uh, That might be the last thing that we recorded um, when we were doing the record. And that was that was a song I'd, I'd written for Sharon. It was It was real simple, didn't have a lot to it. I thought it was another one. I thought she, it would be good for her live, you know, because mm -hmm. it's just simple and a simple bluesy tune and and kind of tying back to like some of the early R&B that I really love, the James Brown stuff and everything. And and um, that's another one that we cut totally live. The horns were in the room with us and everything. And I don't know how many I don't remember doing a lot of takes of that either. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty it's a pretty simple tune. You know, there's only one part to it. It doesn't have it doesn't have a lot of bridges or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that that. um Sometimes something like that that's real simple and stripped down, something's just a simple kind of blues type of situation. It's like really gives gives a singer, especially like Sharon, a chance to um, really pull some feeling out of the song, you know. Yeah. And that's it's just in the you know the lyrics and stuff. It's all pretty it's all pretty simple. There's no deep deep metaphors or anything there, but just a chance, you know, just chance for her to plead a little bit. And she enjoyed that. That's another song we started doing. We actually started doing that live. She was crushing it. She was crushing it. Right. And um, I mean, to the point where she talked about, oh, maybe we should get back to the studio and let me cut it again because, you know, I'm putting a whole different thing on it now, you know? Yeah. But, uh, you know, we never had the, had the chance to do that. But I really love the, the performance you did with us live in the studio anyway. We've talked about uh, the fact that uh, some of the, the, the band members come, came forward with lyrics and song ideas. Uh, the, the songs we've talked about thus far invoke kind of temporality, time. Uh, mm -hmm. and also sail on. I mean, this notion of moving on. Sure. 
Do you feel like, and I kind of alluded to the fact that at least live, Sharon was addressing her condition. Do you feel like what was going on with her fed into what the band was coming up with in terms of themes or lyrical ideas? I think a little bit on some level, just because it was something everybody was going through, you know? I mean, I don't think it was something that we necessarily chose to address directly, but it was definitely wasn't something we were ignoring either. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was actually one tune that didn't actually end up on the record. It ended up on the Miss Sharon Jones soundtrack. Um, For the, docu- called, the documentary. Here. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, the soundtrack. The there was a song that we ended up putting on that, so we didn't put on this record, but it's called I'm Still Here. Mm-hmm. And um, that one's very much Sharon talking about what she's been through and surviving and that she was, you know, she's still here. And, um, it was very heavy. And we, we almost, you know, we, we considered putting on this record at first. We kind of assumed we were going to, yeah. but, um, you know, it was almost, it was almost too much for us. It was a very emotional song for us mm-hmm. to listen to, you know, mm-hmm. but in that one, she's singing very literally. She talks about being overwhelmed by the big C, you know, talking about cancer and, yeah. and, um, and, uh, you know, other things and stuff in her life. Very, it's 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 a very um, autobiographical song and very literal, you know. And she really helped write that one too. Right. I mean, everybody wrote that one together in the studio. But so there's definitely some of that um, in a lot of these songs, you know. Yeah. But um, thing is, we weren't we weren't we didn't want to go into the studio coming from a place of fear, you know. Mm-hmm. Or um, you know, I mean, obviously there's there's pain in everything, but um, you know. We're just trying to trying to give, you know, I, I think there's there's a few things going on when you think about like what kind of tunes we're writing. And um, one of them is trying to give Sharon fuel, you know, trying to give her what she needed um, for us on stage every night. You know, yeah. Yeah. She, give her just some red meat she could sink her teeth into and get out there and and, you know, songs that she she could really relate to the message and relate to the melodies and the harmonies and 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 really dig into. And the other one, I think, is just more personal for everybody, which is just about musically what you're excited about, musically what you want to, what your ambitions are, Mm -hmm. you know, what trying to push the boundaries of what we could create, you know, how, how well can we put these arrangements together? How well can we, you know, what kind of sounds can we make that nobody's ever made before, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think on this record you hear, like I said, there's kind of a, the way we tried to put it together was a little bit of a, almost like a, um, almost a transition from that first concept to the second concept. We're just starting out with kind of the simpler, tougher, more live types of, of show band type of sound, you know, where, you know, you're really giving Sharon a chance to kind of belt through the, some of that stuff and really dig in um, kind of more bluesy stuff. Yeah. And then kind of, you know, slowly transitioning through the record to kind of more arranged, sweeter stuff, you know. Yeah, no, that comes across. I mean, you, uh, my understanding is the record from your conception or uh, the band's conception is is sort of split. I mean, it's obviously split in two over two sides, but you kind of yeah. see the two sides as reflecting different um, dynamics and personalities uh, of the band in some way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, sort of yeah. a livelier and a more introspective side. Is that yeah? One, one that's way that's a good at? way to put it. Yeah, 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 that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the next song. Uh, Come and be a winner. Don't know, so take some time 
Yeah, that one was written written by by Joey, by Joe Crispiano, guitar player, mm-hmm. um, and it was I think it was really the first thing he really wrote for the band. I think it wrote for Sharon, and um, you know it's I, I I hate to to speak on his behalf on this one, but I believe that he really wrote about it about um, I think is it that one or Searching for Nudity? One of them he wrote about his brother, I think. Oh, I see. Okay. I really think he wrote about it as, as his brother, and um, I think it might become be a winner. Yeah. But uh, you know he he's just talking about trying to succeed and and get knocked off track and I think there's a certain there's a certain melancholy to that tune and, and like something very it just feels it, it, you know I don't think we've done a lot of tunes like that with Sharon that are just kind of you know soft and she's singing I just think she sings beautiful on that she's very much more relaxed than she's usually is mm-hmm. in the studio you know or on stage even you know it it just feels like a mellow conversation between her and you know you know. And, and her brother or somebody, you know, somebody you love where you sit down and really have to talk, try to encourage somebody or talk somebody through something. Yeah. Yeah. It's a personal, it's so, obviously a very personal song uh, that she was able to, uh, you know, capture the spirit of, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. And it has, it has a real distinct sound to it from other things for a lot of reasons. I mean, one was we plug Joey's guitar in direct, so there's no amp or anything. So it has a certain, a really this kind of intimate, dry, close sound to it that you hear on certain... It's almost more of a 70s kind of sound, this kind of real, real intimate, dry sound, you know. And then the rhythm on it is real strange. Like Homer wasn't really playing drums. I think Cheme was playing the bass drum and maybe a kibasa, and Homer was like hitting a tom-tom. And, huh. you know, it was just kind of a strange rhythm of these guys in the room just kind of grabbing different things and put together this strange rhythm. And then I was playing just kind of a weird, super loose, whatever I wanted, muted stuff on the bass. It's kind of what he asked me to do, which I think I got off a demo that Tommy was playing on. Tommy Brennick, our old guitar player, oh. you know, who does like all the Charles Bradley stuff and everything. I think he might have been playing the demo and I think I might have uh, I think I might have got that from him. But uh, yeah, and then it kind of came out of there and we decided, you know, at first we decided we were going to say, OK, well, let's do it again, but do it with drums and mm-hmm. do another guitar and put a big horn session. And the more we listened to it, we thought, no, man, this is the vibe, man. Keep it mellow. Keep it simple. And um, it was so beautiful the way Sharon was kind of singing over it, uh, you know, so we just kind of stuck with that mood. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite ones on the record. I think that's 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 a real unique thing in our catalog, that, that song. It sounds like it was a bit complicated. <laughs> it, it, it sounds like it took a, a few different uh, forms before you got it, maybe. I, I'm trying to figure that out. I mean, it, no, no, it almost it almost didn't. It almost didn't. I mean, I think it, it, it's almost the opposite. It's almost like we kind of went in there and he was kind of showing us a song and we kind of cut it with this kind of weird configuration that we were just kind of it just kind of fell into place. Oh, I see. OK. And then and then we listened back and said, oh, man, that feels great. Like. You know, like a lot of times, you know, it, it, it's strange in the studio, I think. To, I mean, to me, one of the things I try to focus on is just, I mean, it sounds simple, but you just want to, you just want to record something that feels really good, you know? And yeah. sometimes that takes really, really hard work. Sometimes that means you have to do something over and over and over again. And sometimes it means it has to be complicated and has to be figured out. And other times it, it comes real easy, you know? Yeah. But sometimes you just can't get, let either of those things get in your way. You know, you can't let something that you think is going to be hard, you know? fall apart because it ends up being too easy you know yeah. and, and vice versa you know sometimes you think something's gonna be easy so you never know but to me like that's an example of a song that i feel like we um it was real natural i mean i think joey had the essential parts of it he kind of had this guitar rhythm and then this real nice vocal melody and these nice lyrics and um 
we just kind of put a bet on that and tried not to get in the way and it came out really nice you know yeah i think it's another yeah it's another example of why the dap kings uh, are one of the greatest bands of all time and uh (laughs) you know you have a real you have a real chemistry and intuition (laughs) for each other i think yeah we've been playing together a long time you know so it's nice having those kind of musical conversations in the studio and just kind of figuring out what we're capable of. Yeah, it builds trust, I think, to, to have that much experience, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 We're going to move on to the next song, Rumors. Oh, yeah. Rumors was written by Fernando, the percussion player, and Homer, the drummer. And um, it's, it's funny because we first started playing that song. They were going for this kind of, I don't know if they're going for it or not, but the thing that we dug into right away was this kind of South African vibe, you know, because we used to listen to a lot of it. When we used to be in the van all the time, we would listen to a lot of this old, um, like, Soweto Jive music, you know, the South African music. Yeah. Mostly instrumental stuff, but... Um, I had I had some German cousins that used to live in in in, in South Africa and I I taped I taped a couple of their their records years and years ago and we used to listen to them in the van and even though it was only a couple of records you know we all listened to them together a lot of times in the van so I think those that sound had a uh, um you know like a lot of different sounds you know things that we listened together in the van over the years Fela and you know the Ohio Players and and Tina Turner all these things man they all they all imprint themselves on you, you know, and become part of our vocabulary and our, this kind of communal sense of music that we had, you know? So I think, I think, you know, we started playing that and we started playing it kind of like, uh, with that, with this kind of South African kind of a little bit of flavor on there, like almost like pata pata or something like that, you know? And, um, it felt, it just felt really good. And it was strange because I think for a lot of the guys in the band that, song felt real corny like oh man you know this is fun this is fun to do but we're not really going to do it like this are we we're not really going to put it out like this are we? but um you know it just kind of became undeniable after a while the more we you know the more i listened to it worked on it and mixed it and stuff it just felt so good and sharon also um she she sang the lead and then she was she was going to do a scratch track for the backgrounds because she had these background ideas but when she did the scratch track she started harmonizing harmonizing with her verses and it sounded so good, we just kept it. Right. So all the verses are in harmony. She's just saying perfect harmony with herself. And then, the, um, you know, we have the backgrounds come in on the choruses and stuff. And, um, you know, it just it just came together, that track, to me. That was, it's, like, definitely the funnest thing we recorded in a long time. And I think especially with, with her being sick and now with her passing and with all these things going on, you know, and just the world being rough right now, man, it's, it's it just feels good just to have a song like that that's just kind of, just happy as shit, you know. It is happy, but it, just a happy, yeah, like a, have have a joyousness to it, you know. Yeah, the the title kind of conveys to me this time period that you're referring to, this notion of being kind of distrustful of information and and whatnot. And <laughs> I mean, I remember when when Sharon passed, there was I remember reading something about how she was really crushed by the election result. Um, yeah, is, is that is that accurate? Yeah. That was actually that was my fault because. Um, I mentioned something in an interview. I did a I did a long interview with somebody. I can't remember who it was. 
after she passed. I mean, I was kind of a blur that whole time for me, but sure. I was talking to somebody, I don't know who it was. And I, and, and I said that to them and they, and you know, I, it, I just said it in passing in a very long interview and it be, and it became the headline of the story and ended up all over the place. And I had to call the journalist back and be like, are you kidding me? You know? And mm-hmm. they went back and they changed the headlines and stuff. But yeah, that story kind of got further than I wish it would have. I mean, it's, I mean, it's true. I'm not saying it's not true. It just wasn't to me. It was, it was very distracting from, you know, either what was going on with the election or, you know, how, or the loss of Sharon, you know, both things, it just felt like a distraction. But yeah, it was true. Basically, you know, she was, she was real sick and obviously battling cancer for a long time and dealing with different stuff. And in that last couple of months, we realized kind of, you know, looking back, we realized that she'd probably had a couple mini strokes. Um, There was a time before a show in San Diego and stuff where all of a sudden she just kind of disappeared on us. You know, I mean, she was there, but she just looked like she disappeared on us. We couldn't figure out what was going on. And the doctor checked her out and she said she was fine. And we did the show anyway. Huh. But, um, you know, looking back, there were some things like that. But, yeah, she was watching the election results. And um, and uh, she I think she got real stressed out. And, uh, yeah, she had a stroke, hmm. you know, while that stuff was going down. So. So, yeah, I mean. It's it's definitely true, yeah. but it's you know it's a, I think it's it's it could be it can be more of a you know more of a distraction distraction than than anything. Yeah. No, I mean I I only raise it because I think even with give the people what they want. There's just there was an outspokenness within your band. I think uh, as much as it was a regarded as this good time party band that you were going to have fun going to see. I feel like there was, would you agree there, there was an underlying. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, and, and I, I, I struggle with that too. I mean, I played with um, a band called Auntie Balls for a long time that, yeah. that did a lot of, you know, kind of uh, blatantly political stuff. And I think, and I think that was more of a challenge with, with the Daft Kings. Well, not, I'm not going to say a challenge, but I'm just saying it was a different language for us because I feel like, you know, there, there's something about certain music to me that's, I mean, it doesn't even matter what the lyrics are. It's still a protest song, you know. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Because the whole story, yeah. the whole the whole sound of the music and the sound of the band and the and the whole reality that 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 Sharon could could you know overcome what she overcame and be in that position of of power, you know, yeah. and be in that in that position of control of her life and and um and really running things, you know. Um, I think I think that's to me. There's something inherently political about that, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah. Lyric lyrically, there's a lot of songs where um, where where we directly or or indirectly, you know, we're talking about politics. I mean, you know, obviously, matter of time. But um, yeah. On the on the on that uh, on the other records, there were two. Yeah, people don't get what they deserve. Is a is a is a very um, specific political song about to me what you know, kind of the lie of the American dream. I mean, not to get way off topic here, but you know, there, there's, there's very specific lyrics in some of those songs about some of this stuff, even her first record, um, got to be the way it is. And, and, um, got a thing on my mind. These were kind of protest songs, you know, songs about, um, injustices and, 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 you know, kind of hope, you know, hopefully triumphing, uh, you know, over those, those types of things. And, um, yeah, I mean, on, on this on this record too, there's definitely some of that flavor. Yeah, you know, rumors. I think you'd have to talk to Fernando and Homer because I'm not sure exactly exactly where they were coming from on that because it it was something that once we started digging into it, it just kind of took on a, a life of its own. So it's another one of those songs that, like, depending on where you are, it could definitely take on different meanings for you. You know? Yeah, totally. And I I only I raised it also because you were saying that for whatever reason people always misconstrued Sharon Jones and the Dap King songs as being love songs every time. And, yeah. uh, yeah. and I, I always thought that was I mean, 
That, that seems odd to yeah. me that that would be the case. When George W. When George W. Bush was president, man, there was uh, I wrote a song called "When When the Other Foot Drops." Mm-hmm. At, that was very specifically about him and kind of, kind of uh, it was when the other foot drops. Uncle it was kind of, uncle was kind of Uncle Sam, and it was it was very specifically political song and talking about him and 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 stuff. And and uh, I remember reading these reviews talking about even that one. It was about oh, this is about a wronged lover, you know, <laughs> or about some some. But you know, it, it was crazy. You know, there was something about your um, all these lies you're cooking up. And um, what was the line? Oh, your crafty little pencils running out of lead. Which to me was basically about, I mean, I was writing about like weapons of mass destruction and stuff. I was writing about, you know, these lies are coming up on you. The other foot's about, you know, the other shoe's going to drop. You're going to, you're getting caught in all these lies. Your, your, your days are numbered, you know. Hmm. That's what I was writing about, you know. And people took it as, somebody wrote it as a, it was about, your crafty little pencils running out of lead was a, a reference to impotence. <laughs> and that her lover <laughs> wow. couldn't get it up anymore. And I was just thinking, Jesus, people will bend these things any way they can to convince themselves that that's what these songs are about. Man. It's, straight, it's crazy, you know? I think it might and, have something to do with the genre you supposedly represent. It, it might have something yeah. to do with Sharon's delivery. I mean, you put those same lyrics in the framework of, say, a punk band, and people would be like, oh, well, this is clearly about weapons yeah, of mass destruction. Maybe. You know what you're I mean? You're probably right. It's yeah, a context they, thing. You're right. They just see they see Sharon up there shaking her hips, you know, with these fringy dresses, and they just, you know, you know. I mean, there's definitely some sexuality to to to, to that music and to the way that, yeah. that she sang to those rhythms and stuff. Like, I, I dig it, but, yeah, it, it, was, it was always surprising to me that <laughs> – <laughs> every song, every song people assumed was about this. Yeah, and so. I wasn't necessarily suggesting that Rumors was about this, but I, like, all I was saying is I know that... No, but you're, you're, you're right. You were talking about Rumors being possibly about about you know Trump or, or any of this and stuff, and it's, it's definitely a good interpretation. I kind of dig it, man. Yeah. You know, I, mean, okay. the, the, okay. I heard a rumor about you, man. It seems pretty accurate today. <laughs> it does. It really does. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, the next song on the uh, record is Pass Me By. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm getting so tired of playing there. 
That, that was written by Binky, um, and he wrote that a few years ago. And it's a, I mean, that's that's one of my favorite songs of the record too, man. I think it's just a really, really beautiful song. And Binky has a certain way of writing tunes. He doesn't, you know. I wish he, we we got him to write more for us, because, um, you know, he's written some great songs, but he, he hasn't written a lot, you know, for us, you know. But the um, that one in particular, there's a, you know, there's a way that he puts together kind of lyrics and phrasing that's definitely. Um, kind of unique and kind of his own sound you know yeah and uh so it took a second for sharon to get her head around it it's also the rhythm in that song is weird it's like mostly a waltz but there's a couple bars of four four and stuff mm-hmm. i mean not to get too techie on it but um it's one of those things where if, if you sit there with a pencil trying to count out bars and write out the arrangement it's very complicated but if you just listen to sharon singing you just listen to the story listen to the vocal it, it it all makes sense, you know. And as a band, we you know we even we're we're playing it live. I think a little bit, or trying to. I don't know if we actually ever got it off the ground, but but uh, and it was it just always felt beautiful, man. And that's 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 uh his song, you know. And and I don't want to read too much into into his own composition, his lyrics, you know. But uh, yeah, you know, he definitely had some has some some trials and tribulations in his own personal life about it. You know, I think that one probably is about love, you know, but uh, I, I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned you know, that, I know you have to ask him. Yeah, that's fair. You mentioned that Sharon, it took a, a moment, or it took a little bit for Sharon to wrap her head around it. Were there times where she didn't feel a song, like the, the meaning behind a, oh, a lyric? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. There's, yeah. A lot, there's a lot of times. And that one wasn't really lyrical. I mean, there was definitely songs lyrically that people wrote, and she was she had her, she would scratch her head like, what the hell is this song about? She really wanted to know. Yeah. She couldn't just sing something. She needed to know what it was about. Oh, okay. But, that's, um, that's fascinating. But, but Pass Me By, I don't think, was a lyrical thing. I think it was just more that the way that song works, it, there's, a, there's a really unique phrasing to how it has to be sung. You can't just kind of sing the lyrics, you know what I mean? It's not like a... Is not like a blues or something where you just kind of sing a line as it goes by. You know, yeah. you, it kind of has to sit a certain way for the whole thing to work. It's a very unique, very binky kind of thing. You know, <laughs> and uh, it took her a second to wrap her head around it, but but once she did, man, I think she. It's so beautiful, man. It's 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 a, uh, you know, and, and there's another thing on that song is that you may notice there's no horns on that song, mm-hmm. and what happened was we recorded that song originally in a different key. I think Binky had written it in F or something. I don't remember what key he'd written it. I think it was F. But uh, he wrote it in one key, and we recorded it, and uh, we figured we were just going to overdub. You know, he was kind of singing rough vocals, trying to teach it to Sharon, but she didn't totally have it digested. So we figured, well, we'll record the music, and you guys can work on the vocal later. Yeah. So we recorded it, and we did the horns, too, and the horns sounded great. They were beautiful. Um, and then after we worked on it for a while, we realized it was, it you know, she could really sing it much better if we changed the key. So we moved it down to like D or something, something kind of pretty far removed. Yeah. And all the horn lines that we wrote didn't seem to work in that key. So we recorded them and they didn't sound right. And we recorded them again and they didn't sound right. Hmm. You know, and her vocal sounded great. So eventually we just said, eh, we just, then we mixed it, just muted the horns. Oh. You know? You couldn't, trans- you couldn't transpose <laughs> it or you just didn't feel like it made no, sense? No, we did. We did transpose it. It just doesn't work the same. You oh. know I mean? The thing oh. is. I mean, that's true with any instrument, but particularly with horns, like the way one line sits in a certain key feels real different than the way it sits in a different key, you know? Right. And uh, I mean, for the band, too. I mean, the music for us all felt better in this other key. 
<laughs> but you know <laughs> it's a weird thing you know but this is how these songs come together in the studio you know you're you're experimenting you're trying different things and and at the end of it you know to me you always want to kind of serve that vocal and wherever you know whatever is going to do the, you know help Sharon the most that's what we wanted to play and right. a lot of times that playing nothing you know <laughs> sometimes so, that's what you have to do yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and it takes a certain amount of discipline to do that you know yeah but yeah. uh Nobody, you know, nobody's heartbroken over it. The horn, you know, the horns are like great. You know, sounds better without the horns. Like, why would we put horns? Like, well, you know, everybody wants to make things better. Nobody's trying to, you know, for their own ego, put, put, you know, add something to the record. Right. Well, that's good. Again, I think that that's that's <laughs> born of experience and a uh, chemistry of, of of you know just playing yeah. together for so long. Yeah. We move on now to searching for a new day. That one's also written by Joey uh, Crispiano, the guitar player, and Homer. I think Joey and Homer wrote that one together. I remember where were we? Were they were working, working it out, working out the lyrics and stuff? Oh, I know where we were. We were we shot a um, a TV show for um, oh geez, what was that? Luke Cage. Oh yeah, we yeah, were in an episode. Yeah. Of Luke, we were in an episode of Luke Cage, like some finale of one of the seasons or something. And I remember being, you know, in the trailer or whatever between. Shoots and the two of them were hacking away, real excited, working on those lyrics and stuff, man. But that came out great, man. To me, that's there's something about that song that's more like almost a um, a classic Dap Kings kind of feel. Like there's something in there that's reminiscent of almost of like How Long or something. I mean, it's not the same at all, but it has the same. It's a certain flavor that the Dap Kings kind of tap into. That's kind of somewhere between New Orleans and the Impressions or something, you know. Huh. So, um, it, you know, I, I think it's a it's a really it's a really nice tune. It has a certain kind of triumph kind of triumphant thing to it you know that, that it's nice and um yeah it's a, it's a it's a really nice tune it's and it's real uplifting too you know yeah it's another one that makes me a little heart sick uh yeah. <laughs> this notion of uh of, of the finality of the record i guess comes through it's yeah it's 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 hard it's hard listening to a posthumous record i have to say i mean yeah. my my role as a music critic and writer leads me to try to interpret all sorts of things and find meaning maybe where sometimes where there isn't but this, this i have to admit it's been difficult a little bit yeah uh, try mixing try mixing a, a posthumous record that's pretty rough too man yeah going in every day listen to your best friend <laughs> sing these songs man it's hard yeah it's very hard but uh you know i mean you just felt it's important you know and it's nice to hear it's nice to hear that uh you know that you connected with it man you know because that was you know, Sharon's, Sharon always said the same thing, you know, which you hear over and over again. She always said, what comes from the heart reaches the heart, you know? Yeah. And that was that was always what we tried to stay focused on, you know? There was, when we were in the studio or on the road or on the stage or anywhere, everybody was, 
had a very low tolerance for bullshit. You know, nobody, nobody was writing music or trying to trying to make calls like, oh, this will sell more records or, or so and so did this, so we should do it. Like, there was no tolerance for that kind of talk in the studio. You know, everybody. You know, um, it, it was all about trying to do something, trying to you know just just trying to play from our hearts and 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 put our sweat and blood into it and you know fight it out when we had to. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And um and I think that song's definitely that kind of sound. Everybody's just digging in and playing hard and and uh you know putting their hearts in it. Yeah. No, it comes across. It comes across for sure. We move on to uh these tears no longer for you. That's a good one. That one was written by um, Wayne Gordon, who is, you know, somebody that's, that's kind of in, in the shadows a little bit in this whole story, but a, a very important dude, man. He, you know, he started out as my studio assistant in New York and um, has gone on to be a great engineer and producer in his own right. He's producing a lot of the stuff on Wick Records and stuff and writing and producing for a lot of different people. Yeah. Um, and a huge force at Daptone, even though he's kind of quiet, and stays in the shadows. But, um, you know, he's been in with us for the last whole bunch. He's been with us 10 years, something for the last bunch of records we made. Wayne was always in the studio with us. And he's one of the few guys outside of the band, I think, that um, is really welcome in those kinds of conversations about music and what we're actually trying to do, you know. And, um, you know, he, he wrote this song and brought it to the band. And, um, you know, the band loved this tune, you know. And um, we actually, that's another one. We recorded it in... What key do we record it in? We recorded it in, in, I think, E flat. And um, this is a couple, a couple years ago. I think when we were doing the give, we were give the give the people what they want record. Oh, okay. We recorded it in E flat, and um, the band crushed it. And uh, Sharon couldn't totally get she couldn't totally get the vocal the way she wanted it. You know, I mean, she really liked the lyrics, she liked the song, but she couldn't couldn't quite get it going. So we started doing it on the road, man, and. Um, and we ended up moving it down to D. So we went back into the studio for this record and recorded it again, but recorded it in D. And she sang it and she crushed the vocal. Um, but then we went back and listened to all of it, you know, when we were trying to figure out what we we're going to put on the record. And and we realized the band sounded so much better on the first one. The e flat, you, you notice a pattern here, right? Yes, yeah, so it does. Yeah. The band sounded so much better in the, in the, in the E flat version, you know? Um, the other one, it was kind of, again, more hooked up. We had more changes. The drums were following the horns more. We had everything a little bit more polished out the way we did live, you know, it was a little more professional, but it, it didn't quite have the same feeling to it, you know? 
but Sharon's vocal was so much better on the one in D. So what I ended up doing in the studio was slowing down the tape to getting the original one, the E flat one, slowing it down to D and then flying her vocal in off of the other one, which is hard to do. But, you know, it was, you know, it was one of those things that that wasn't what our plan. Our plan was to let her, um, let her sing it again over the one in D, but you know, we didn't have that luxury, you know, she was taken from us before we could do it. So mm. we worked with what we had and, you know, she had done such a great vocal take on this other one, on the one in D. So, you know, we just took that vocal take and, you know, stuck them together and it, it ended up working out pretty nice. I mean, a little bit of stu- studio, studio magic, but um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely, you can feel kind of coming from searching for a new day. That's kind of where the record starts transitioning into this kind of slightly more. Searching for a New Day is the first song that has strings on it, but it's just a few violins and they're kind of playing these unison lines that come in kind of late in the tune and they, you know, barely notice them entering. And by the end, they're a little bit louder. And so that's kind of what we saw as kind of almost a transition from that kind of live sound to the more orchestral sound. And then these tears is kind of all the way in on this, this moodier, like you said, more introspective, kind of more sophisticated sound. Yeah. You know, where the, um, you know, there's a lot more string arrangements and stuff like that a lot more orchestra and stuff on that so so um, that that's kind of where that's at you made a couple of allusions to the fact that there were certain takes certain things you you just couldn't get to again obviously because we lost Sharon um when was this record and this when were these sessions made in relation to when she could no longer perform if that's do you, do you understand what I mean like how yeah she, I mean the, you know, the thing with the thing with the last few years for Sharon was that it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a straight line. You know, she she got sick and, um, you know, and then she would get treatment and then she'd feel better. And then she'd go to the doctors and get an all clear and she'd be OK. And then a month later, they'd find another spot and she'd go back to chemo. And um, so through all this whole thing with her health going up and down and, and you know, the, the treatment obviously being, you know, often more brutal than the disease itself, you know, which is really a rough thing to to deal with yeah um but uh you know through all that stuff we were we were touring and we were trying to squeeze recording sessions in between there i mean our our recording session our, our recording schedule has always been the same which is like you know if if we're on the we tried to stay on the road a lot but if we had a few weeks or a month off the road we'd try to take a week or two in the studio you know yeah um so we would we would kind of try to pop and sometimes just a couple of days if we had it, you know, so we were trying to pop sessions in whenever we could. But it was hard. I mean, because, you know, Sharon, she did not like to cancel shows. She wanted to sing. You know, she wanted to be on stage every chance she had. Yeah. And she would go straight from chemo to the stage, man. I mean, it was crazy. You know, we yes. would go on the road and do three shows and then she would take off into chemo and then go do three more. Shows. I mean, it was and, you know, it wasn't that we were pushing her to do it. She was really pushing us, you know, and we made it clear to her like, man just take care of yourself. We're just trying to worry about your health. But she made it clear to us that the best thing, the best thing for her was to be on stage. And that when she was singing to people, you know, that was the only time that she wasn't hurting. And the only time that she, that she felt like she didn't even have cancer, you know, and you could see it. And even in those last performances, she was singing her ass off. She sang better than she ever sang in her life, man. We were on stage just in awe, just practically just watching the show, man. You know, Hmm. I mean, she was singing great. Was there? Yeah, I mean, I I, yeah. I assume that being on stage was a, a form of escapism for her, and and like you say, where she needed to be, where she wanted to be. Was there anything about how she dealt with this that surprised you per se? I don't know. Surprise is a strange word for it because, I mean, her strength in general was, you know, is just awe inspiring. You know, I mean, just the way that 
like I said, she could come out of chemo and just want to get on stage and just night after night, just tear these crowds up, you know, and just sing and perform at such a high level with so much energy when she was dealing with so much sickness and so much pain and, 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 you know, and drugs and all this stuff that, you know, you have comes with those types of treatments, you know? So, I mean, but surprise, I don't know if surprise is the word, you know, cause uh, you know, she, she'd been wonder woman to me for a lot longer than that, you know? Yeah. And I'd seen her so many things for so many years that, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know if uh, it, it's hard to say what was surprising. Yeah. You no, know, I, I, I just, and to be honest, the only thing that was surprising to me was that she died, man. Like I just didn't think hmm. she just seemed indestructible to me. You know, she seemed, um, like omnipotent, like she could just do anything, you know, yeah. like she would just, it just seemed like she was going to will herself through this. She was going to sing herself through this. And that's the feeling you had on stage. It was like, fuck cancer. I'm going to sing my heart out. You know, she would sing so, so hard, man. And set so well and just connect with people. She was just at, at such a high level, not just for a singer, but just for a human being. You know, it was just, it was inspiring to watch somebody do that. And, you know, honestly, the, you know, I'd love to say I was inspired by what she did on stage every, I mean, that I was surprised by what she did on stage by every night, but you know, it got past surprise where I just kind of, she just seemed like she was from another world, you know, I mean, just can't, you start expecting that from her. And at the end, the only thing I was surprised by was that, that, you know, she could lose, you know, I just didn't think she could. She truly was awesome. I mean, like in the truest sense of the term, I don't mean it in a surfer yeah. surfer slang kind of way like she inspired yeah. awe yeah. and i yeah yeah so yeah. I, I i hear where you're coming from and that's for me that's a i'm a distant external sort of witness to all of these things well and, maybe i mean maybe not man i mean the thing is like when you know we're doing those shows it we 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 did shows before where there was nobody there or we did corporate shows or we did you know tv shows we did all types of stuff that didn't have an audience and it was very different yeah. i mean the real the times the shows really caught fire and when she really kicked up to that next level and it started feeling like, you know, started feeling like church or something, started feeling like like a uh, rapture. You know, I mean, the, those moments of abandonment and stuff like that, that that was that wasn't just something she was doing herself. That had to do with the audience, man. That had to do with everybody in the room. Yeah. You know, if you were there seeing her show and you're feeling that that was, you know, that was real. She wasn't phoning it. It wasn't like she was putting a show on for you. She was doing something with you and with the band, too. You know, we and that was kind of what was so intoxicating about it was kind of like being part of this thing that was so much bigger than you. I mean, yeah, we were kind of creating the sounds and these rhythms, but we were also just kind of on this train that we, you couldn't stop. You know, it was like we were just doing what, what needed to be done in that moment and the whole, and you know, and I think that was, was incredible about her, you know? Yeah, I agree. The next song uh, on the record is when I saw your face. That's maybe one of my favorite ones. Dave, Dave Guy wrote that, the trumpet player. Mm-hmm. And um, when when he first wrote it, well, actually, a long time into doing it, a lot of the guys <laughs> couldn't get their heads around the chorus because it's, I mean, I'm not, again, I don't go weird and technical on you, but it goes <laughs> to a three chord 
And then the background singers, when I saw your face, they're singing off a nine. Hmm. And the, the nine of the three chord is really a flat five, which is a particularly dissonant note, maybe the most dissonant note in any scale. Right. So there's something kind of music theory-wise that depending on how your ear is wired, it's almost, it's like real crooked and weird sounding. But, um, <laughs> you know, my take on that was like when working on the strings and stuff was like to really lean into that note, into that harmony and, and just kind of commit to it in a way that, that, you know, I figured if the whole band was doing it and the harmony's right and everything, it, 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 it'd come off. So it ended up kind of, it ended up to me being my favorite song on the record. I just love the, um, again, it's a, it's a real orchestral moody kind of song, which to me is kind of like, you know, that, you know, I'm an old man. That's why I could sit and listen to stuff like that, man. You know, that's my, if I could put on, you know, if I could put on, it's the kind of record that, that, uh, you know, if I'm at home, I'm going to put that record on, you know, that's, that's what I really want to hear. So I think I, I really enjoy that and the whole band did too. But the, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a sense to the way the band played that and the arrangement on that in particular to me that like, I feel like the band, the band's just at, at their highest level, you know? And I think that's the thing about this record is that it's capturing this moment you know, to me, that was the band at its highest level on a, in a couple different ways. I mean, as a live show band and as just a, a force of energy and, and rhythm, you know, for Sharon, like we were kind of so tuned in at that point. But also as far as discipline and arrangement and kind of musically figuring out how to put things together and trying to, you know, thin out the thin out all the, the stuff you don't need and and put all the good stuff in there. I think, you know, we're at a good spot and that really came together for me, that song. And I, and I love Sharon saying it so beautifully, man. So, you know, so mellow and so sweet, you know? Well, we've talked a lot about Sharon's, uh, sort of fiery spirit. You, you, I think you've mentioned, you know, her shimmying on stage. People will remember yeah. those things, but I just want to highlight as we get into a couple of them, her power as a ballad dear, as a ballad singer, yeah. like just, no one sang ballads as powerfully as Sharon as well. No, I think no. that, that's and, worth and, mentioning. It's true, and that was something that, that, that I think we were trying to, you know, that was kind of about the, a, a big part of the other side of this record was kind of delving into that, you know, and and letting people hear how well she could just lay back and just sing a tune, you know. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, she really had it. Her, her sense of phrasing, man, her rhythm was unbelievable, man, and she could just sit stuff back in just the right way and, yeah, and it really has a sweetness to it, man. I, and I really, I think that might be one of the things that I love so much about that song too, is just kind of hearing hearing that sweet part of Sharon's personality because she did have a really sweet side too, you know. Yeah. It wasn't all retreat, you know. She had a really sweet side to her, and she was, you know, she was so loving, you know, with me, you know, personally, man. Like she was, you know, a sister and a and a mother and a friend, you know, and and uh, you know, we consoled each other and and we stuck together through all kinds of hard things, you know? Yeah. And, um, so hearing, hearing that tenderness, that tender side of her for me is, 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 is really moving and kind of important, you know? Yeah. Well, on that note, we go on to girl, you got to forget. <laughs> yeah.
I wrote that song about Sandra, son from Son and Star, a background singer. Oh. You know? And um Son <laughs> I wrote that because <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much she wants me to divulge. But there was a very specific you know, she's got a wonderful boyfriend, dude, and I'm you know, named Will and he's he's a great, great guy and they had they had some some you know situation at one point or something and and i remember sitting in some hotel room somewhere because you know when you're on tour you're always in a hotel room somewhere that's where every almost everything happens yeah but uh you know i remember sitting talking to her and i think sharon was there and maybe star talking to her about this stuff and and i don't know who said it whether it was sharon or star or even me but somebody just said girl you got to forgive him and we started talking about it and stuff and um it just it just felt it just felt like a good it, it just felt like a story to me you know yeah and uh, so I, you know, it's something I, I, I wrote for her on the, just kind of on the piano and I kind of wrote the, I had the whole arrangement worked out and I had this kind of real, you know, I, you know, I was, I was trying to pull from almost like, I mean, the Delphonics or the um, five stair steps at their prime or, you know, these bands that had these really epic dramatic arrangements, you know, so I was just trying to find the most dramatic, you know, the dramatic sounds we could do for this. And, um, you know, just kind of really, uh, you know, these these background vocals that go back and forth between real choppy kind of persuaders types of things and then almost operatic harmonies and stuff. You yeah. Know? So yeah. I don't know. I was just going for <clears throat> going for high drama and stuff. And it, <laughs> it came out good. It was fun. You know, it was, that was a real fun one to put together, man. And actually, you know, it's strange because one of the hardest par- par- parts with these records is trying to figure out what what to put on the album. Yeah. Because you know, we we usually record a lot more songs than we end up putting on albums, and um. You know, when it came down to it, this is one of the songs, Girl, that almost everybody had on their list. Like, oh, we got to put that on the album. And I didn't really have it on my list. I mean, I thought it was a, I thought it was a great, you know, I really was really proud of it. I thought it was a really great song, but I just thought there was there was some stuff I thought just as far as, you know, for Sharon and, and you know, showing her in her, in her most emotive light. I didn't know if it was the most compelling thing or something, but it came out great, man. People dig that tune. No, it's great. Uh, it made me wonder if... Uh... If I know Sharon was the front person for this band, uh, did people look to her for sort of life advice? Did she offer, uh, you know, sort of wisdom about <laughs> how to deal with uh, uh, life situations? Sometimes sometime she did, man. I'd 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 hear her. I she would definitely do that sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like on the road, you know, depending on the situation, sometimes she would be our mother. You know, sometimes she'd be right. our therapist. You know. Yeah. But uh, you know, sometimes we take care of her too. You know, sometimes yeah. you had to listen to her. You know. But um, yeah. Sometimes she would she would be be the sage of wisdom, you know, <laughs> lay something out for you. She seemed very wise. I mean, I I appreciated every conversation I got to have with her, and and so <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. She just she exuded. Sometimes a... she was wise. Sometimes she was wise. Sometimes she was crazy. Like I said, you know, <laughs> she but, uh, just had a charis- charisma. I think that yeah, we uh, lo- yeah we yeah we loved her both ways, man. She was definitely a spark plug, man. Yeah, you know what you see is what you get. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, we're we're at the end here. We're at the final song. It's uh, it's called Call on. God.
Yeah, man, this is a real heavy one. I mean, Sharon wrote Call on God. She used to sing with, with a group called uh, E.L. Fields Gospel Wonders in Brooklyn from when she was a teenager. Yeah. You know, and she sang with them for many, many years. And it was the choir of um, Pastor Fields' um, congregation, the Universal Church of God in Brooklyn. And uh, she led the choir for many years and sang with them for many years. And I think in the 70s or something, she wrote this song for that choir. And Sharon did not write a lot of songs. She wrote a handful of songs in her life that I know of, mm. you know. And um, I think I think most of them were gospel tunes. And this was one of them. And she wrote this for her, her choir, like in the 70s. Oh. And we actually recorded it when we were recording, um, I think, 100 Days. We recorded it a few years back. And, um, That's like 10 years ago or something, isn't it? Or something? Sure, it might be. Yeah. It might be, yeah. Yeah. And it was, but it came, I mean, it came out great and we really loved it. But um, we were kind of so, you know, we'd done a couple gospel songs for that session with her sitting at the piano and playing and singing and us just kind of following her. We did that one and we also did Answer Me, which is another song that's on the 100 Days album. And, um, w- you know, we were so into it that, that our idea at that time was like, man, let's do a gospel album. And Sharon was really excited about that. I mean, she talked about it. You know, for the last bunch of years we've been, you know, and we'd be backstage and we'd be working on stuff on the piano and she'd show us a song she wanted to do and Sonic Star would be singing with her and we would, you know, play along with her. So we were working all these tunes. And the idea with Colin God was that we had shelled that song off of 100 Days so that we could save it for this gospel album. Oh. And um, we never had a chance to do the gospel album. But one of the things with that song was that it wasn't finished when we recorded it because we'd never done the background vocals on it. She wanted to do background vocals in the second verse and stuff in the chorus. And um, then after she passed away, um, she had a big public funeral, but then she had a smaller memorial service at the Universal Church of God that her pastor, Pastor Margot Fields, E.L. Fields' widow, mm-hmm. who took over the congregation, she she threw a, a more a smaller, much kind of more personal memorial for her um, a few weeks later. And um, for that memorial, a lot of Sharon's old friends, these singers that used to sing with the Gospel Wonders, uh, came into came into town from all over the country, you know, came in from all different places to be at that memorial and pay tribute to Sharon, celebrate her life and sing and stuff. And um, so after the service, you know, we we're hanging out behind the church eating, you know, they had burgers and hot dogs and stuff, you know, yeah. we we're hanging out. And I, and I, I uh, uh, me and a couple of the Dap Kings got, were, you know, got together with, with some of those singers from, from the, like from the gospel wonders and said, Hey, you guys, want to come over to the studio and sing backgrounds on this song. Sharon wrote it for you. She wanted you to do it. And, and they were into it. So after the service, we just drove over to Daptone, which in Bushwick was, you know, a little drive from there, but in Brooklyn. Right and, after um, the service? Right after the service. Wow. And they put on their, they put their headphones on and, and had Sharon in her, in their ears singing this old song that she wrote for them. And, you know, it was very emotional. I mean, it was, it was so amazing. I think for everybody, you know, for them to be able to sing behind her one more time, and sing this song that she wrote for them, you know, and, and hear her leading them in their headphones, you know, and they sang these backgrounds, you know, as they were intended to be. And for me and, you know, for everybody else, just the idea of having them on it, it's like that would have been, that would have been what she wanted, you know. She would have yeah. been so happy, you know, to know that, that we got them on there. So it, mm-hmm. it really, it really kind of came full circle and we couldn't think of a, of a, of a more beautiful way to, to send that record off than to, you know, with her own words, you know, with the song that she wrote um, and and with this kind of unity between the Dap Kings, her family on the road for, you know, 20 years. And, and you know, I don't know who the maybe the closest people she had, you know, uh, as well as this as 
these singers and these friends of hers from the choir, from the church that she grew up singing in her whole life, you know, the church that she wrote for and stuff. So, you know, it, it just felt like a perfect way to, to cap off the record, you know, so we brought that back. Yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful story and a, a, a beautiful insight. I, I appreciate that. Um, well, this record is powerful. Soul of a Woman is, is really, really beautiful. And um, I'm curious if, uh, if you can... Um, talk about uh, the future in some ways you mentioned that the dap kings and sharon you would often record more songs than than would make it on a on a record was that the case with soul of a woman or is there potentially more material coming you know I, it, it, it's hard to say man you know there, there might be i mean the thing is with, with us is that we always wanted to put out you know, we just want to put out the, the greatest albums we can and and remember sharing the best way that we can you know and this is definitely the final the final studio album that we have of, of, of Sharon, you know, and yeah. there's definitely a lot of, there's a lot of unreleased stuff, you know, and some of it's unreleased for a reason. Some of it's unreleased because maybe we thought it was good or even very good, but we didn't think it was great. And, uh, you know, whatever. And some of it, there's also some gems back there, you know, so yeah. I mean, we'll have to see, we'll have to see. I mean, we're right now we're, we're just kind of trying to concentrate on one thing at a time, but, um, what is the yeah, next? Quite a lot of music. Yeah. What is the next? This is a. I've alluded to this a few times. This Dap Kings thing is a rare configuration. It's an amazing band. You've lost Sharon. What What do you do? What do you do as a band next? Because you no, have a, work, you work with a other hard people. Question. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard question. We've been we've been struggling to answer that ourselves because um, I mean it is it's the baddest band in the land and we got a sound that that nobody that nobody can touch and if 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 you know people have tapped that sound a lot for different things, you know, whether they're sampling us or, <clears throat> or having us record their music for them in the studio or, you know, bringing us on tour and doing collaborations. And we've done, you know, we, we've done all that stuff and we'll probably continue to do some of it. We, you know, we, we have done recently, mm. you know, it's not like, it's not like we're closing the doors for business, but you know, another level there's, it, it took a minute for it to sink in for us, I think, or at least for myself that, yeah. um, you know, as, as bad as that band is, you know, it's not the same, you know, yeah. and we used to go on stage every night and you've been to our shows. Now we start out, we'd play a couple instrumentals and right from the first note, man, the crowd would go wild and we were hitting these rhythms and it just felt so good. We felt like we were digging in so hard yeah. and music felt so good. And then Son and Star would come up and, and start singing and um, the energy would just click up a notch and be like, wow, man, we're killing. We're really killing right now. But then eventually, you know, Binky and Sharon and Sharon would come out and um, man, it, it, we just got it suddenly got so much higher. Everything just got higher, you know? Yeah. It was just, you know, as powerful a band as, as, as we are, um, it wasn't until we had Sharon with us that we were really at full power, you know? Yeah. And uh, so there's a certain, it's it's hard for that to sink in. It's just, we're never going to be at that level again, you know? We're never, I'm never going to have, have that feeling again of being on stage and, and um, being that high, being that powerful, being that... Um, you know, that connected to the audiences we were with Sharon, you know, and that, you know, so that part's over, you know, and I don't think yeah. we're, we're definitely not, we're definitely not looking for somebody to replace her, you know, cause that would be, that would be sad and silly, you know, yeah. but, uh, but you know, at the same time she would want us to, she would definitely would be pretty mad if we stopped, you know, so, yeah. so we are making, you know, we're making music, we're making music, indi- you know, individually and together and, and doing different projects and talking to different people. So okay. we'll, we'll, we'll see what the future holds. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's a, the band has a certain sound, that group of guys been together for a long time and vibrates a certain way, you know? So yeah. it's nothing you want to throw in the garbage can, but I think we're still kind of, even the, even a year later, we're still at a, uh, 
you know, still at a moment we're trying to answer that question. Well, for what it's worth, I feel grateful and fortunate for every experience I had listening to the Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings records and seeing the band live and interacting with uh, with some of you. It's uh, I feel lucky, and I think I'm not alone. So thank you for everything. No, thank you for saying so. Thank yeah. you for saying so. I appreciate that. Is there any particular song from this record that we uh, can go out on that you that you would select for us, Gabe? I mean, I think "Call on God" is probably the one to go out on. Okay. You know. Yeah. I think I think that's 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 kind of the the last thing I I want to hear in my ears. You know. Okay. All right. Well, I uh, I appreciate that. This is "Call on God" from Soul of a Woman by uh, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Uh, and, Thanks, Vish. Uh, Gabe, I really appreciate this. Thank you so much for yeah. your time. Yeah. Thank you, Vish. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon.
That was Gabriel Roth on the 366th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Antica Podcast Network and available on all of your finer podcast platforms. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for or you want to learn more about me or, or sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at vishcreative, or follow me at vishkana. Listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world on CFRU.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Also, please consider visiting patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to the podcast. And in return for your pledge, I'd like to send you some kind of gift. Ideally, it'd be one of the t-shirts that I have that uh, represent the show. But I could also come up with uh, other interesting gift ideas. Just send me a message after you pledge and we'll work something out. This episode would not be possible without our sponsors, Pizza Trocadero, whom you can call for pickup or delivery at 519-829-2444 or check them out at trocaderoguelph.ca. The Bookshelf, an independently owned bookstore, bar, music venue, and movie theater located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Learn more about them at bookshelf.ca. Planet Bean, freshly roasted, fair trade, certified organic coffee. For more information about them, planetbeancoffee.com. Granddad's Donuts, located at 574 James Street North in Hamilton, Ontario. Amazing donuts. Visit granddads.ca for more information about them. And to have a whole meal's worth of ingredients delivered right to your Canadian home, visit hellofresh.ca and use the promo code CREATIVE50 for 50% off of your first order. By the way, if you if you don't want to go on the Patreon and you still want to support the show and eat something good, use that promo code CREATIVE50 at hellofresh.ca. And then they'll they'll be like, oh, people are using people are listening to that show and eating our food. Amazing. On a similar note, FreshBooks, a cloud accounting software for small business owners. Try it free for 30 days. Go to freshbooks.com slash creative control. And in their how did you hear about us section, enter creative control, all one word. That's creative with a K and control with a K. And then you'll get to try FreshBooks for 30 days for free. Again, using these codes. Uh, engaging with these businesses it actually helps the show more than you know so thank you for for doing that and trying these things out well that's another episode of this program thank you for listening uh, i will make more episodes of this show again in support of the show if you can uh you know download episodes of the program that helps if you can subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform if you can tell your friends about it and leave favorable reviews these things all help the show so thank you for continuing to do that and listening and thank you for, uh, to, to Gabe Roth for being on this program as well, because uh, it means the world uh, that I got to talk to him about Sharon Jones. That's all I have to say for now. I will talk to you soon. Goodbye for now. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.